This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. This is Elizabeth. And this is Lots of 83 Podcast. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Happy to be here, Kevin. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about metamors. What are they, what to expect, and what to watch out for? Yes. So a metamor is your partner's partner. Simple as that. Someone you are not dating, but it is the other partner of your partner. And sometimes we shorten it to just meta. Some other terminology you may hear us talk about today would be a hinge. So if you are sharing a partner with a metamor, then that partner that's in between the two of you is called a hinge. NRE or new relationship energy is that happy butterfly feeling that you feel when you get excited and start dating somebody new. And compersion is finding happiness in someone else's happiness. Usually in polyamorous context, it means happiness about your partner's love life. Happiness that your partner is happy, even if it doesn't involve you directly. So why do we like have these discussions about metamors at all? Like what's important about it? Well, getting along with your meta or at least having like an understanding and being on the same page with your meta is important for a healthy polydynamic, I feel, because it can be really hard to be at odds with your meta more because it puts stress on the hinge person and on everybody in the situation. So getting along with your meta is, in my experience, really beneficial to polyamory because it makes everything go smoothly and it helps everybody feel like they're getting fulfillment out of the relationship and consent and clarity and all of that. Let's talk first about some of the good things that can come out of a relationship, like having any sort of formal relationship with your metamor. Yeah. Uh, Maybe before we get into that, let's throw out the warning that you may not get along with your metamor and it's not required that you spend any sort of significant amount of time with your metamor. That is true. It's very dependent upon your relationships and what works for you and your partners. Uh, So that could mean that you have a lot of contact with your metamor. It could mean that you have almost no or no contact with your metamor. So some of the good things that can come out of having a relationship with your metamor is that oftentimes our partners date people who are similar in some ways. And so you may share hobbies, values, or a sense of humor with your metamor, and that can make it sometimes an easy friendship to have. That's true. One thing that can be really fun that I've seen in a lot of poly dynamics, especially kitchen table situations, is being able to, as you say, clown on your partner, your hinge partner with your metamor. Sort of like gang up on them and and tease them in ways that you know are, are appropriate and aren't going to harm your partner. Right. Like, oh, you know, he always leaves the milk out or he's always late for whatever or, you know, this is his favorite type of cheese or whatever. And, you know, being able to tease your partner with your meta can be a kind of a bonding experience for all of you. Yeah. A lot of people's views are like, oh, I'm going to have two people fawning over me. And occasionally the reality is that you got two people across the dinner table making inside jokes that only you three would probably understand. Yep. Yeah, that's true. I find another positive about being getting along with your meta and having some communication with your meta is that it can be useful in emergency situations of course like if your part if your hinge partner is in a car accident oh my gosh i dated someone who 
was in a bad car accident a few years ago. And I showed up at the hospital with his wife was there. Her girlfriend was there. My husband was there and I was there. And the staff was so confused. And we were like, listen, just let me in so I can yell at him for, you know, getting in this accident. It, it was really a funny situation, even though it was kind of dire because we were all kind of ganging up on him in a way. But yeah, being able to get in contact with your meta in case your partner loses his phone or whatever, you know, or, you know, he's having an allergic reaction and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had a, a weird kind of medical issue happen on one of my dates last year, and my partner called my husband home early from his, you know, out and about, whatever, and they both kind of helped me through it. And it was like a horrible experience, but also very bonding because all three of us were kind of like just dealing with the same situation. It was great that, that my two partners were able to get along and contact each other easily in this sort of emergency situation. So that can be really beneficial, of course. And while it's not something that would work for all circumstances or all people, I know that having a direct communication or, or a, like the openness to directly communicate with my metamor greatly helps me and allows me to discuss things that maybe I don't want to play the game of telephone Yeah, and communicate yeah. through my partner. You know, there's always going to be signal loss and information degradation any number of people down the line, even between one person and the first person you're telling, there's always going to be that loss of information. Yeah. And being able to control for that can be very, very helpful. I would caution against it because as we're going to discuss later, there might be some difficult aspects about having a metamorph. Yes. But having, for me, having those people being able to reach out to them and say, hey, I noticed this. Are you okay? Or do you need something from me? Yeah. One of my partners was very, very shy. And something that I thought was off the table for her and I's intimate relations, for the guy was a rule he only intended to be in the first week of the relationship. Mm. And we were several months into having a committed relationship at that point. And my partner just either never was able to communicate it or never communicated it at all mm -hmm. you know, to their partner what I was wanting out of the relationship that I wasn't able to get because of a rule mm -hmm. that she thought was in place. Right. Yeah, having that extra step of confirmation and communication with the other person involved in the poly situation can be really beneficial because then you get some clarity on certain things. So what are some of the things to look out for in a relationship with your metamor? I know I've seen some toxic behaviors, kind of like uh, controlling a partner's time or their attention during your date mm -hmm. when it's not an emergency or creating faux emergencies in order to get attention when you're out and needing to connect with a partner is is one example of that. Do you have any others? Yeah. If whenever you talk to your meta, they're like talking badly about your shared partner, that's a bad sign because to me that says that their relationship is rocky. Or they're trying to make our shared partner look bad so that they won't date other people or something. And that's a red flag to me. So, you know, I want to hear positive things and realistic things from my meta about my part our partner. But if it's always negative, that's a, that's a bad sign. 
Yeah. And similarly, if your meta is complaining to your partner about you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or vice versa, maybe you need to check yourself right now. And this is the reminder that you shouldn't be trash talking your partner's partner with the exception of bringing awareness to issues that are directly impacting you. Yeah. But there's a difference between just trying to be mean or snide or hurtful versus trying to get your needs addressed. Yes. Also, like your metamore being passive aggressive, maybe even trying to force a specific relationship with you, may that be friendship or a romantic relationship. I know you've had experiences with that in your past. I have. I've definitely had metamores who flat out demanded sexual or romantic relationship with me. And that's like basically unicorn hunting, in my opinion, like it's a similar level of problematic. I didn't consent to be a relationship with them and I don't want to be. Therefore, I don't have to be. But if they're if they feel insecure to the point where they'll only be happy if they're dating me, too, that's not a good sign either. And forcing a friendship, you know, I think polyamory in general kind of idealizes kitchen table setups where everybody can interact and hang out together and be friends and that's great but it's not always feasible for a variety of reasons because poly relationships are complicated and when you add more people it's obviously more complicated and you can't you can't force friendships you can't you know people either want to be friends both people or they don't. And if you don't consent to being in a friendship with someone, you don't have to be. And that includes your meta. And I've definitely learned over the years that I don't have to be friends with all my metas. It would be nice, but it's not required. And it's not something that I even pursue necessarily if it's not an easy path, because it just tends to add to the stress of like feeling like it's a forced relationship. Yeah. You can be friendly without being friends too. Yep. I think the bare minimum you should always be is cordial. You should always be able to communicate and coordinate on whatever level is absolutely necessary to maintain a healthy relationship. Yeah, I think that is ideal. I would also say other toxic meta behaviors are trying to enforce a rule that's a double standard that yes. doesn't apply to them, but has to apply to you. And another one we talked about earlier before we started recording was if they are the primary in a hierarchical poly situation and you are the secondary, if they are always bringing that up, like, you know, I'm the primary, I'm the primary, you're just secondary, you know, our relationships are not the same, you know, that's unnecessary and cruel. If everyone understands their position in the hierarchy and it's all consented and agreed to, there's no need to keep bringing it back up just to hurt you. So that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, kind of lastly, on the things we knew we wanted to talk about for in regards to toxic behaviors that metas might have, it would be trying to keep information private in a attempt to obfuscate abuse or dishonesty or other bad practices that could negatively impact your partner or you. Absolutely. So there's always room for privacy in relationships, but where it stops is where it would negatively impact your health, your psychological well-being, mm -hmm. or if somebody is being lied to in some sort of way that might harm them in other ways. Absolutely. I know that for people that are used to polyamory and especially the kitchen table side of polyamory, being able to see your metamor in person really humanizes them. Mm-hmm. 
being able to talk alone with them outside of your partner's influence can be really, really rewarding and bonding. And doing things like giving each other gifts can be really, really nice and really rewarding and validating and a very beneficial part of polyamory that we don't talk about or see as much in discussions. True. Even little notes, you know, you could send back and forth with your partner, your shared partner, like, hey, I hope you have a good day. Love me or whatever, you know, can be, if, if nothing else, an affirmation that everyone's on board and it's cool, you know? Yeah. I think the most serious metamor that I have, the longest standing in any sort of official capacity where I've had discussions with the person, is somebody that... I don't get along with swinglingly, at least socially. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, they really wanted to join our pod and really wanted to participate, but felt very discouraged. I think in part because he and I are socially very similar. I mean, usually occupy the spotlight if we're in charge. And that became very difficult to understand and for us to navigate. And it got to a point where they just they knew they were welcome to come to family dinners, but they chose not to show up. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I needed to, I could call him up today. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I'm not going on my way to have long, detailed conversations with him. I don't think right. I've really actively talked to him in over a year. But I know if I needed to, for some sort of reason that was like necessary, you know, our shared partner is in the hospital. Right. And I'm the person on the tree to contact him. I would not feel hesitant to reach out and contact him for any reason like that at all. Right. Yeah. And that's a great example of being able to be friendly enough with your meta to get along in important situations, but not having to have a full-blown friendship necessarily. And I feel like we, we, we mentioned compersion earlier, but I really want to drive home that compersion is not required in polyamory. Yeah, compersion is not compulsory is what I always no. try to say, just because yeah. it rhymes. It, I like that. It doesn't rhyme, but it is alliterative, Kevin. Oh, sorry, you're right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, compersion is not required. I rarely feel compersion about my partners. I struggle with jealousy sometimes, like most people, including many poly people. But compersion doesn't come very naturally to me. But it has not stopped me from being polyamorous for at least 12 years. So... It's certainly doable. Jealousy is the number one question poly people get because it seems like an impossible hurdle to overcome for a lot of monogamous people in, in that way. Like, how could you possibly accept that you might feel jealousy? You know, do you just not feel jealousy? But poly people do feel jealousy a lot of the time. Many poly people do. It's just how we deal with it that uh, makes the difference, I feel. Well, I think that kind of covers a lot of great aspects of metamors, what to look out for, and what are some of the benefits. Hopefully you're having a good, happy, and healthy relationship with your metamor. And if you're not and you would like some help, reach out to us. Let us know what your question is. We'd be happy to help. And in a little bit, we'll be back with another segment. Hey everyone, it's Kevin, co-host of Less Than 83. I just wanted to let you know that I run a small company called Y'all Cooking. If you'd be interested in learning how to up your cooking game in a lot of different ways, please check me out at y'allcooking.com or Y'all Cooking on Facebook. Thank you.
Welcome back, Elizabeth. Hey, Kevin. All right. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? How do people who are polyamorous or non-monogamous celebrate it? Do we celebrate it? These are all things we wanted to kind of touch on today. Yeah. So Valentine's Day is, you know, pretty well known American, mostly holiday celebration. Sure it was a made up holiday by yeah, it's, Hallmark. Yeah, made up by Hallmark. And, you know, you're supposed to express your affection for your romantic partners or or your friends. We were talking about how we used to in elementary school, you know, give out lots of cards to the whole class. And we were like, we should bring that back. Yeah, I want cards and candy from all of my friends. That yeah, sounds great. That sounds great and very polyamorous because each relationship is unique and, you know, romance doesn't necessarily make it like separate or better, but like it can. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of people last week kind of asking about how do polyamorous people do Valentine's mm -hmm. Day? And yeah. The, the answer is it is to many things. It depends. It depends. You know? <laughs> it definitely depends. Yeah. To, to give people maybe a better idea of what it's been like for me, I've had times where I just had a date night with my nesting partner and nobody else really wanted to celebrate or, or cared about even acknowledging the date. I've been in triads where the triad was part of a bigger polycule. But us as the triad really wanted to celebrate together. And so that's what we did. Right. I've had times where I invited my whole pod over, the whole group of us who are dating or interconnected through dating, you know, other people come and have dinner at my house. So it's a way to kind of, while it's involving your partners, it was much more of a family kind of deal, much less romantic yeah, in a way. A pod, a pod dinner. Yeah. And so... You know, the, the key is mostly like, do you even want to celebrate it? Mm -hmm. Start there. <laughs> is it important to you? Why is it important to you? Who else may want to celebrate it? Because even if it's not something for you that you really enjoy, but it's really important to your partner, if it's not going to mm -hmm. hurt you or put you out, you know, might be time to suck it up and go hang out and do something you know, very generic or, or very cliche for Valentine's Day and let them have that moment. It, yeah. And much like Christmas or any other holiday, a lot of it is about the magic you instill into it and the traditions you create. So it can be a good time for people to, you know, bond over chocolates or a special little dinner or a certain kind of flowers or whatever. It could be little handmade gifts. But poly wise, you know, I've been in a similar mix of situations with celebrating Valentine's Day. I lived in a a five person poly pod for a while and for some people Valentine's Day was like the day and so we would basically arrange certain holidays to be more designated for certain couples or triads and then Valentine's Day was for other variations on those couples and triads so we just kind of split it up by interest and if two people or or two people seeing the same person wanted to both celebrate the, the day then sometimes we would just go on a date in the morning versus the evening or you know spend the night before and after and kind of split it up that way some of it depends on work schedules very pragmatic stuff like that you know you split it up based on 
like we said, interest and then availability. And then, <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound very romantic, but when you get the, the logistical stuff out of the way, then you're able to focus more on the intimate moments, you know? As a polyamorous person, I deeply feel that romance and calendars can exist in the same space and they oh, often yeah. do for me. <laughs> <laughs> I so like scheduling it. Scheduling is, isn't unromantic to me, but also I, I think that there's nobody forcing you to celebrate Valentine's Day on that day. Right. It could be any day, really. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you're worried about safety for COVID or you're you know, wanting to reduce exposure, but still like have a dinner out, then picking a day that's not one of the most popular days to have mm -hmm. dinner out might be good and a healthy excuse or, or only making sure that you're doing so by doing carry out. Right. Definitely. You know, keep those precautions in mind. So one thing, you know, what sparked off our idea earlier about how we miss the days of elementary school is that if you've got a friend or somebody else that you know who might appreciate some attention on Valentine's Day because they're single and it won't point out the fact that they're single and maybe make it worse, reach out to them and say hi. Mm -hmm. Send them an e-card. Yeah, mm -hmm. send them something, connect with them in a way that you feel like they would appreciate. Because for some people who are unpartnered or recently in a transition period in one of their relationships. It can be lonely. Days like Valentine's Day can be a little difficult. Sure, absolutely. And like, we love our friends. We, we want our friends to feel good too. And especially during pandemic, reaching out to your friends has never been like more important in a lot of ways and more difficult in a lot of ways. So definitely value that too. We wanted to give a quick shout out to our first patron. Uh, they haven't given us consent to say their name, so we just wanted to thank in general. We had one person sign up at the expert communicator level. Patreon is a place where you can financially support this podcast. It does cost us money to be able to have the equipment and server space to be able to host the podcast. So if you want to be a polywog at $5 a month, a compersion captain at $10 a month, or an expert communicator at $30 a month, please feel free to throw us a little bit of money. It would go a long way to be able to help us cover the cost of this podcast and help me compensate our, my co-creators. You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. This episode was edited by Jackson Menton. Music by Anti Lude and logo design by Carmen Balding. We're a new podcast, and therefore, sharing this with your friends or family members could really help us out. Please share. Sharing is caring. <laughs>